0: What do you mean you didn't expect a bonus episode this week? I mean, it's the long weekend. It's Canada Day. What else would you want to do on the Canada Day long weekend other than listen to a podcast about hockey, specifically junior hockey, even more specifically, OHL Stories, the podcast. Of course, there is some method to the madness this week. There has been some really big news in the front offices and behind the bench of one of the Proudest franchises in the entire Canadian Hockey League as the Kitchener Rangers announced their 24th head coach in franchise history. And the Memorial Cup has just finished where the Ontario Hockey League's Hamilton Bulldogs finished runner up. So, what you're going to get in this episode, some insight from the new head coach of the Kitchener Rangers. And I think you're going to like the way that he sounds, not just if you're a Kitchener Rangers fan, although there's reason for optimism there with this fresh young face being brought in to lead the franchise into its 60th season. But just philosophically, Chris Dennis has a really interesting outlook on life and specifically on the game of hockey. So I think you'll like hearing from him also now outgoing head coach, but back to the role where he began. And that is general manager for Kitchener Rangers, Mike McKenzie. And he's got some Insights as well into the import draft, which is happening July the 1st. Yeah, good day for the import draft, eh? (laughs) Junior hockey general managers will be working on Canada Day just to make their import draft selections. But also, his time as a head coach, how he enjoyed it, and, and which role perhaps he enjoys more. It's a tough role, having the dual portfolio. There's a reason so few are doing it, so you'll hear Mike McKenzie's insights on that in this podcast as well. Not going to dwell long here as I'm doing a solo intro, but just did want to touch on the Memorial Cup. Obviously, the questions are being asked again, and I think they're the right questions to ask a home team, the automatic berth for the St. John Sea Dogs, and this year's Memorial Cup goes the same way as the 2017 Memorial Cup. That's when the Windsor Spitfires won as hosts despite having been ousted in the first round of that playoff year. They had more than 40 days off. They come back and beat the Erie Otters in the Memorial Cup final to clinch the championship. It was a very similar story this time around where the St. John Sea Dogs were bounced in round number one and then had a 38-day layoff only to come back and beat the Hamilton Bulldogs in the Memorial Cup final. It's, it's a tough pill to swallow if you're the Hamilton Bulldogs. Just consider... That their playoff run began back on April the 22nd. That's when the OHL playoffs opened. And they continued to play right up until January, or pardon me, June the 29th. The St. John's Sea Dogs were eliminated in a five game first round series in overtime of game five, mind you, but still back in April. And then they had themselves 38 days off to get ready for the Memorial Cup final. They won two playoff games in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League this playoff season. The Hamilton Bulldogs, en route to the OHL Championship, won 16. And in fact, the St. John Sea Dogs won more games in the Memorial Cup tournament, three, than they did in the entire playoff. The Hamilton Bulldogs won two games in the Memorial Cup. So 18 playoff and Memorial Cup games total victories for the Hamilton Bulldogs compared to just five for the victorious St. John sea Dogs. You don't want to take away anything from the champions. They were the better team in the final game on that day, but it is a tough one when you consider the grind that is the playoffs and really the, the bonus that is that automatic berth for St. John. They fire their coach, they bring in a new voice, they take their almost 40 day layoff and they use it to their full advantage in winning on home ice. And, and I get how important that is. Obviously there is revenue to be considered here And you want to have fans in the seats in order to take in that championship and and be excited about the Memorial Cup in general. And if there's not a home team, some of that interest may wane a little bit. And we know how much it costs to host one of these national junior hockey championships. You want to make that money back or as much of it as you can. And without a home team in the tournament, that's a pretty tall order. But maybe that just speaks to what the league's Across the Canadian Hockey League have to do. We have to generate more interest in this game, market the game better, and have fans that are passionate and passionately interested. Even if there's not a home team playing in that tournament or in that final. A couple of ideas that got bandied around. Uh, Terry Doyle, who covers the OHL's Sarnia Sting and was in St. John for the Memorial Cup, said talk around the tournament this year was that maybe a good idea would be to push back the Memorial Cup by 10 to 14 days, allowing those league champions to have a bit more of a break before entering the Memorial Cup round robin. Not a bad idea, although I don't know that extending the season out even further is a great idea and how much momentum would you lose for the Memorial Cup if you finish a pretty exciting playoff, you crown three league champions and then you wait Up to two weeks before you start the tournament i get the idea obviously it allows even those teams that went through the grind to get some much needed rest before the tournament but i don't know and then mike stubbs out of london who covers the knights of course had a pretty interesting suggestion as well he thought that maybe instead of taking away the automatic berth, ensure that the host team wins a minimum number of games before being allowed entry into that Memorial cup tournament. So maybe you have to make it at least into the third round, your conference final. I don't know what that would look like, but it's kind of a a median position between allowing the automatic birth or saying, we're going to wipe out the automatic birth. All I know is it leaves a bit of a sour taste in the mouths of some fans. And look, we've been competing for the Memorial cup now for more than a hundred years. I'm sure it's up for some evolution and some tweaks to the tournament, just to maybe, maybe, Give a, a better chance or a greater reward to the teams that grind their way all through the playoffs, only to get knocked out by a rested team in the final. It's happened twice in the past four finals that were competed for in Canadian junior hockey. Nonetheless, congratulations to the St. John Sea Dogs, 2022 Memorial Cup champions, and congratulations to the Hamilton Bulldogs on a whale of a season and a heck of a finish. They had to battle their way through that Memorial Cup round robin and then win in overtime in the semifinal to earn the final's berth. So as much as it stings in the moment, nothing for the Hamilton Bulldogs to be hanging their heads about. Let's get into this week's podcast. Again, you'll hear from Kitchener Rangers, now just general manager again, Mike McKenzie. But first, it's the 24th head coach in Kitchener Rangers history just announced this week as OHL Stories brings you an introduction to Chris Dennis. Well, Chris, at some point you're going to name a captain for your hockey team. I'm going to be your captain, obvious here today, and just start with the most obvious question of all: How does it feel to be named the 24th head coach in Kitchener Rangers history?
1: Uh, it feels wonderful. It's uh, it's been a long time goal of mine to to get to be an o- OHL head coach, and uh, Kitchener was always kind of at the top of my list. Uh, and to have that all come together in uh, one spot is,
0: is, is a wonderful feeling. What was the process like going through interviewing and ultimately being announced as the head coach? Um, It's,
1: it's been years in the making. I feel like Um, I've gotten to know Mike a little bit over the years. So it's just kind of been, you know, a conversation here and there and just sort of a relationship like, Hey, you know, something ever happened one day, it would be great. And, um so mike and i kept in touch over the years and then uh i'm gonna say like a month ago maybe i don't even know but it's been a few weeks anyway we had one conversation which turned into another which turned into something a little bit more formal um and mike keeps things uh pretty close to the vest so i wasn't sure who who was involved who was in the mix uh I felt like we had a great rapport uh, and the thing we were, you know, on the same page for a lot of our hockey thoughts and just, you know, the culture and how we feel like things uh, should be done Uh, and just sat there and waited to hear, hoping that the call, the next call I was going to get was good news and it ended up that that's what it was.
0: You talk about this sort of being a lifelong pursuit and this certainly when you look at your resume, OHL head coach would be a next logical step on this resume that said, and I don't mean to play the age card here, but my goodness, you've been coaching for so long, and you're so young. Like, did you come out of the womb coaching here, or what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, <laughs> no, it was uh, it, it was funny. Like, I, I've got a uh, actually a former um, uh, Kitchener Ranger, Wendell Young, who I worked with in uh, in um, Chicago. There, his son uh, is a really young referee, and when uh, what I was told is when he was growing up he just wanted to be a referee like he didn't want to be the player he didn't he wanted to ref and he's doing a wonderful job and he's climbing the ranks really quickly and I mean I was a decent player but I kind of wanted to coach like that was sort of what I wanted to do um and so that's kind of the path that I took um and uh, luckily it led me here I uh you know, I was very lucky, you know, with a with a kinesiology degree and a teaching degree and then um, to have the opportunity to start with the Maple Leafs while I was still in university doing it part time um, was obviously very, very lucky. Um, and then to get in there and, you know, when you start working in the NHL full time at 25 years old, um, you you get a lot of experience and you learn a lot of things uh, really quickly. So, uh, yeah, it's been a lifelong kind of journey to to. To the Kitchener Rangers, but it's one that I kind of prepared for and hoped for and really, uh, really worked for.
0: Okay, we're going to come back to that teaching thing in a moment. But if you're going to drop the name dependable Wendell Young on this (laughs) podcast, you're going to endear yourself to Rangers fans for sure.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, he's, uh, he was a good friend and he was actually really great uh, to me when I was in Chicago. Uh, You know, dinners at his house, uh, taking care of my
0: family when they were in town. Uh, He's a wonderful guy fantastic when you talked about that experience with Toronto, Chris. Obviously, you've been in contact with and have worked with uh, a number of big names in coaching: Quinn, Carlisle, Maurice, etc. Is there is there one or more that left such an impression on you that maybe you take some of their style into your own head coaching style?
1: I can't say that there's one. I can I can honestly say it was all of them. Um, I'd like to think that there's a little bit of all of them in my style. Um, they all just bring such different, great qualities to the table that, uh, you know, with Pat, uh, he was the first coach I worked for. And again, I was so young and so not, not again, everybody in Canada, I think if you grew up playing the game thinks they know hockey and then you get in an NHL dressing room and you're like, I don't even know what he's talking about right now. Um, so I, I wish I was a little bit older and wiser when I got to work with Pat um, to really get some of his kind of knowledge uh, ingrained in me. But, you know, the biggest takeaway I had from him was just how we treated people. And I'm like, if Pat Quinn can treat everybody like that, so can I. Um, so again, but then to work with Paul and to work with Ron Wilson and, and Randy and, and, you know, it's not just the head coaches, but the assistant, the list of assistant coaches that I was lucky enough to work with who have either gone on to be NHL head coaches or American League head coaches, or junior head coaches, uh, you know, it's, I was just so blessed to be, uh, to be, have that experience with all of them, and just take something small from everybody, some bigger than others, uh, and and to be able to, you know, use that, and then to get the opportunity at York, um, after having all of that experience, and all those people's thoughts, and, uh, you know, be able to take it at a place where the spotlight wasn't so big and I could get get all these ideas and find my voice as a head coach, not just as an assistant or a video coach. Um, I was extremely lucky with that. So um, all of those guys that I've gotten to work with over the years, I've taken, I think it's something small from all of them. And some people I've taken a lot from.
0: University and, and junior hockey, obviously different than the pros you're working with a different age group and a group that aspires to be at that pro level. So what does your voice as a head coach sound like? What, will we, what can we expect from a Chris Dennis coach team?
1: Um, you can expect uh, compete. You can expect compete and you can hopefully see a team that has a plan. Um, those are two things that I kind of pride myself on. Um, you should see a cohesive group on that ice and a team that's working as hard as they can uh, game in and game out. Um, those are the kind of things that I pride myself on as a coach. Um, you know, you want to let the skill level take over where it can, but I believe that your skill and your hockey sense will take over if you're in the right spot and you're doing the right things with the right frame of mind. So that's kind of where I want to get our players to, and then let their ability take over. Like these are elite athletes that, that, uh, that have something to offer. So, uh, let's get you to the right spots. Let's get you there with the right purpose and
0: then let your ability take over. We talked about those guys you worked with at the pro level, Chris, but even last year as an assistant in barry you're you're with a guy like Marty Williamson, who in his own right a pretty got a pretty good pedigree in this game at this level. What'd you learn from Marty uh,
1: I can't say enough good things about Marty Williamson first of all, he was so generous to me in the opportunity that he gave me um, I just learned like there there is a way to handle these these athletes these younger junior players and I just think Marty does it so well uh his feel for a room his feel for these players and what they need in the right time um I just I was lucky enough and again he was gracious enough to we shared an office I was in it every day with him uh never asked to leave to step out so he could talk to it It was he let me see everything and uh, I was really lucky to watch him work and and uh and to just get his feel for it like he has such a great feel for the game and for the team and for when things are needed uh i i will be forever grateful for that experience
0: you know i'm just thinking back on that time that you're in toronto in your mid-20s and you talk about you know people in this country might grow up think thinking they know the game of hockey i'm thinking about being 25 years old and being at scotia bank arena I mean, did you ever have like an oblique oh bleep moment? Look where I am and look what I'm doing. <laughs> Only when I messed up. <laughs> um, so uh,
1: yes, yes, I did. Um, I think uh, again, you're very lucky to be in the NHL. Uh, so I'm not saying this from like a, a, a bragging point, but uh, my first road trip ever with the Leafs, I was actually still doing it part-time and um we uh it was in the playoffs i got to go to ottawa for two playoff games and i got to get on the team plane and they charter planes with uh, air canada so air canada at the time was flying u2 around the world in their tour so i pull into the airport and i'm getting on the plane and i'm super nervous to begin with and then i'm looking i'm like we're walking on and the whole thing is like u2 the logoed on the side of the plane i'm like Am I, I'm traveling with the Toronto Maple Leafs and walking onto U2's plane right now? Like what is going on? Um, So there were a lot of moments where I was just taken aback and uh, so lucky uh, to have those opportunities.
0: You know, Chris, that reminds me of just a few years ago when it was Rangers Sioux in the West final and we were flying back and forth. And so we went to pick up our charter at the small little airstrip, not far from Pearson and the Raptors were in the playoffs at the time and their, their plane, I think was just coming in either way. So we're walking out to the plane and I mean, there's the Raptors plane over there and then here's our little plane far different yes. charters, obviously, but it gave us that, that sense of, Hey, look, you know, we're, 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 big wheeling here.
1: Well, any, I mean, anytime you're you're with a team and they're chartering a plane and you're getting to go and, and compete in the sport you've, you've made it you you should be proud whatever that plane looks like so um yeah it's there are those moments that we're lucky to have where you're kind of hopefully you do sit back and take that second to go this is
0: pretty cool what was that plane ride like for you i remember my first time getting on the bus with the kitchen arrangers and it's just kind of you know head down keep to yourself take your seat mind your own business what was it like on the plane it was exactly that. It was, <laughs> it was head down.
1: Uh, don't, don't speak when spoken to and uh, just try not to mess
0: things up. Okay. Uh, here with the Kitchen Arrangers. obviously there is a tremendous history uh, with the organization. You already made reference to one of the legendary players that came through here in, in Wendell Young, who was uh, a key part of early success with this franchise, but regarded the Kitchen Arrangers are as one of the top teams in the entire Canadian Hockey League. Do you relish that kind of pressure? Uh,
1: I don't see it as, I, I relish the challenge and the, you know, I would like to think I don't see it as pressure, um, but I see it as a responsibility and an opportunity to kind of do something special here. Um, you know, 60th anniversary, I believe we're in now. Um, you know, I, I got a taste of it with my time in Toronto, again, not being the boss, but watching a lot of, head coaches and general managers work under that spotlight and under that demanding fan base. And uh, I think all of them looked at it as a challenge that they were willing to take on and wanted to to do well. And and I look at this the same way. I, I just think it's to have a junior franchise that that's got so much history with whether it's players or coaches that have come through and, and championships that have been won and, a fan base that will support you and, and want you to win and want you to be the best team there. Um, that's exciting. It's fun. Like, you know, the, the non-pressure places or, or, you know, whether it's in junior or not, like the, they, you, we are so lucky here to have these fans and, you know, to have, um, all the attention that we do get. And it's what gives us a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunity here, but
0: it comes with, uh,
1: it comes with a little bit of a, cost
0: i'm sure that somebody at some point has made reference to the feeling in that building the kitchener memorial auditorium on a friday night when there are 7,000 fans in there and it's a big game for the hockey club have you been uh, at least told about what that experience is like i have been in the building for one of those experiences
1: uh yes i mean everybody you know it's a revered atmosphere um and and uh, i've so excited to be a part of it and to to have that feeling and hopefully to get that first big win on a Friday and and feel that electricity and hear the fans roar. Um, I'm again, especially with what we've gone through over the last couple of years, these these moments start to seem more and more special as as we get to have them.
0: So back to the teaching thing, Chris. I, I've I, I'm actually kind of surprised that the number of maybe I shouldn't be because there are similarities certainly between the professions that former teachers who become hockey coaches. But you know, of course, there's a whole hell of a lot more job security in teaching, right?
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Believe me, when the pandemic hit, that thought crossed my mind. Um, Yeah, no, it's teaching is a passion of mine, for sure. um, But it's teaching hockey, and it's teaching, you know, life skills and and how to be good teammates and how to work together on the ice. That's what I really uh, enjoy. Um, So again, I was able to get that degree. And there's some technical parts that I still take with me on how to communicate and how to teach and how to break things down. Um, but yes, uh, I realize I did not make the most uh, job secure career choice, but uh, but it's what I love. So,
0: For what it's worth, I was supposed to be a teacher too. Started out, did one year, decided no radio and I'm in the same boat. Not much job security in broadcasting. I could have stayed in being a teacher. I probably would have been retired by now too, but Oh, well, (laughs) (laughs) it's
1: a, it's a great profession. It's a, uh, you know, obviously with, with uh, just sitting at home and watching. my wife's a teacher. So watching what she had to do and what our kids have had to do uh, throughout the pandemic. And now it's been great that they're back in school, obviously, but uh,
0: hopefully people have a, a newfound respect for what these, these people do every day. Absolutely. I could not agree more with that. So it's a pretty small world especially in hockey and these worlds that we're talking about teaching and hockey overlap again, because Mike McPherson, who is, you know, Mac. Okay. So here we go. I I got a message from him yesterday. I've known Mac for quite some time. He's obviously still a principal in Guelph and he says he was a VP in Caledon when he hired a young Chris Dennis. So what terrible teacher? No, he said you coached the hockey team too, but called you a real high character guy. So is that the same as a coach saying I've got a good guy in the room? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, yeah, Matt, I was, la-
1: I mean, I think so I worked two years in that school and I, I first, um, I took a year between going to teacher's college. So at first I was in there as like, a, I don't want to say unqualified, but I didn't have my teaching degree yet. And they just, you know, it was somebody they needed and they gave a young kid an opportunity to teach. And, um, Mac was a big mentor to me actually in that time. Cause Again, it's more like a fake it till you make it. So I knew what teaching was and I had an idea of how to do it, but I'm like, holy Lord, like report cards and planning and curriculum and all this stuff. It was, it was a lot. So yeah, he was a big help for me when I started there. And uh, I'm guessing the character part came in that like just the effort and the concern I had for hoping that I was doing a good job and asking the questions and, and, you know, trying to put my best foot forward every day.
0: One of the other messages I got that really caught me off guard is from the niece of a woman who used to babysit you in Etobicoke. Now, I I tried to get some dirt, but they said, no, you were two years old. You were literally only playing in the dirt. However, uh, it just goes to show how small the world is. But that conversation also led to James Richmond's name coming up and your father's role in coaching James. Well, now you're telling me you're teaching me something that I don't know. <laughs> okay, because so, I I wasn't they maybe there's a maybe there's another Paul Dennis then.
1: there I, mean, I well I mean I'm sure there is but I, I don't know I don't know that history so <laughs> you're teaching me stuff I didn't know about <laughs> my dad coaching James Richmond I mean um, I can't imagine like I mean I'm, my dad's for sure older than uh, him but uh, yeah that would be that's that's the first I've heard of this so you've taught me something today.
0: Well, listen, the grapevine can sometimes be inaccurate. The bottom, I should have asked for the aunt's name in Etobicoke, but her niece sent me a message today. said, my aunt used to babysit Chris Dennis. So there you go. The small world uh, continues. It follows you all the way here to Kitchener. You can't hide, Chris.
1: You cannot hide in the hockey world.
0: <laughs> you might want to. The first time there is like a two or three heaven forbid, even a four game losing streak. The fans can, they can get restless sometimes in Rangers. Maybe.
1: Everybody, everybody keeps talking about these losing streaks that we haven't had yet. I'd, I'd like to like to focus on if somebody can bring up a winning streak and how happy the fans are. Then I'd, I'd like to talk about that.
0: <laughs> when it comes to uh, your coaching staff, do we anticipate it staying the same to start the season or do you have guys you might like to bring in? No, we anticipate it staying the
1: same. Um, again, happy to, to work with and, and learn from uh, the guys that have been here that have experience again. I'm the new guy. So uh, looking forward to working with
0: this staff. What are, what are the steps between now and that opener on September the 30th for a new head coach as he gets acclimatized to a city and a new organization?
1: Um, Well, first and foremost, it's about the people, right? Like we're only going to be successful if we have successful people and people that are, uh, that are on board. So Started uh, today reaching out to the players Uh, won't get to everybody today, but in the next couple of days, I'm hoping to speak with all of them. Uh, I've already spoken with the staff and they were wonderful. Um, So just making sure, you know, I introduce myself, uh, get to know everybody and then start the planning. Like I'm a, I'm a pretty, uh, detailed guy um i don't like uh surprises so um you know going through with uh mike mckenzie and michael zolt and, and this coaching staff um we'll we'll hopefully get most of the year kind of planned out in a template things are always subject to change but uh, i don't like too many changes so um you know the next few weeks getting to know everybody finding out what people's strengths are where we can get better where we're already great and we need to keep doing that Um, it'll be an information gathering and then just kind of a planning. So
0: once training camp hits, we are, we are sound and solid and ready to go. Having gone through the coaching experiences you've already gone through, Chris, what, what continues to motivate you in the game? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, the
1: people you get to work with every day, to be honest with you, like I feel so blessed to have this as my job. Um, not just the Kitchener Rangers, but like the coaching as a job. Um, not too many people get to do this, so um, like I just love going to the rink in the morning and, and knowing that we' work- like we're working towards something. And if it's a game day, like I get a chance to win something today. like win or lose. like it's a, I, we're gonna compete today. and there's nothing better than winning a hockey game or I mean, you, then you start talking about winning playoff series, then you start talking about winning championships. Like those are feelings not everybody gets to get uh for their careers and their jobs so the fact that we get to do it whether you're a player support staff coach gm um that gets me out of bed like just a real uh appreciation for what i get to do and and to be the best at something like to really strive and just look across the ice and go they're trying to beat me today like they're trying to be better than us and we're not going to let that happen and if you do that day you tip your hat to them and you lick your wounds and go this is where we need to get better and then you get to try again and it's uh I just love the game. I love the chess match. I love the challenge. It's just, it's fun to me. And then you get to watch people develop and especially like my experience last year in Barry with these young guys to watch them really develop and really take next steps. It's exciting. It's uh, again, I am probably a little uh, looking through the world with rose colored glasses on these days. Cause I'm excited to be here, but, uh, but it's just, it's honestly, it's, it's, it's a dream job for me. And then it's one that I, I'm thankful for every day. Is it the
0: thrill of victory or the agony of defeat that hits you harder? No. What do you prefer? What do I prefer? <laughs> well, no, I mean, like, is it better to win um, as opposed to, like, is the pain of losing more difficult than the joy of winning is to experience?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The the Like, to me, the winning, and this is, I don't want this to sound wrong, but, like, winning, you're you have to compete and it's hard to do but you're kind of supposed to win. Like you're like, that's the expectation you're trying to win. So when that happens, it's more like mission accomplished. Like, okay, we did it. Like whoo, I can take a break now. But when you, when you're losing, that wasn't supposed to happen. So that's the hard part, dealing with how you do that and and, uh, how you get better and how you keep things in perspective. Those are the, those are the challenges obviously of the job.
0: It's going to fit right in with the mentality here in uh, Kitchener for sure. And I promise you, my intel is usually better. So I got good intel from Mac, but your your uh, former babysitter's niece really led me astray.
1: Here. That, but that, that could be <laughs> correct. And I just don't know.
0: <laughs> my will, dad, I mean, you know, you talk about my dad,
1: like he, he's... Uh, I'm very lucky to have him as a father and as a mentor and stuff. But like, I mean, there's another person that you talk about small circles and a a wide network. He's been around the game a lot longer than I have. And uh, that's a very real possibility that that happened. And it's just one of those names that either I was told and forgot, or it never came up.
0: Well, you're kind. If it turns out to be the case, we'll both circle that game against Mississauga on the calendar and we'll bring the story up then. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Chris, appreciate your time on this. Thanks very much for joining us. Anytime, Mike. Thanks for having me. So how does it feel, Mike, to be stepping back from behind the bench, back up into the press box from where you started in this league with this team?
2: I think it's a bittersweet feeling, um, but it's also exciting in a lot of senses too. So, you know, it's one of those things where I'm sure there will be times where I miss that everyday interaction with players and staff and being – in the heart of the battle and behind the bench and feeling those emotions of a game and getting to work closely with the players, you know, at practice and developing those relationships. And there's a lot of fun parts to coaching and rewarding parts to coaching. Uh, that being said, it is a big time commitment, having two jobs. And um, I'm excited to, you know, let someone else take over and and let them take care of a lot of the day-to-day stuff and, um, I guess the best way to put it is bring in a real, a real coach. Um, someone that can give hundred percent, not that I wasn't a real coach, but someone that can really give hundred percent every single day to the players, to the other staff and their sole focus is coaching. So uh, in one sense, I'm sure I'll miss some of it. It's a little bit bittersweet, but I think in the long run, it's the best move for the organization. Uh, it's the best move for me personally. And, 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 you know, to get to spend a little bit more time with my kids um and get to do my job as gm um as as best you know as i can um to my ability uh is important too so yeah it's the right time i think uh but again it's bittersweet
0: but also exciting at the same time I can't help but think the way you describe this, and I think the way we look at the game today, the way it has evolved, there's a reason that so few guys are doing both jobs, head coach and GM, right? Because the roles are so specialized and, and each has such a great impact on the team.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think uh, it's definitely a lot different, even probably when I came into the league, um, it was just starting to go in that direction where you're just seeing way more, you know, elements to a a managing job and way more time commitment on the coaching side. And it really is a a big time commitment for, for one job. And it's a lot of responsibility for one job. And um, I know there's definitely some guys that do it um, throughout the league, but it's definitely difficult. Um, I think there's times where it pulls you certain ways and there's a little bit of guilt there where you can't give, um, you know, a certain side as much attention as you want Whether that's, you know, talking with your scouts on the phone about players, you know, and blowing them off because you got to go up for practice and, and, or deal with something with the players or the coaching staff or vice versa. You know, if you're, if you're planning to watch video with the coaches in the video room and all of a sudden the phone rings and it's an important one and you don't want to, you don't want to miss it, um, you know, you leave the room and next thing you know, you're back in a half an half hour and those guys are sitting there going, I thought we were watching video here, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you've, you've gone to take an important phone call on the managerial side. Mm-hmm. So it's tough. I think it just pulls you in a lot of different directions. And I think, you know, for me personally, I think to be fair to the people around me, um, I think this will be better on the management side for the people that I work with. Uh, And I think it'll be better for the people on the coaching side that I used to work with to have people on both sides of the spectrum that are 100% invested in that job and doing it every single day without being pulled in
0: different directions. I know that the, the roles are dramatically different, but I wonder, I think back on your first year as GM, when you made the moves that helped that team get to the Western conference final game seven and then this year, perhaps the highlight of the coaching career would have been the Game 7 win over London in Round 1. Is the feeling of pulling off a big trade successfully equal to winning a big game like that? Can you even compare the two?
2: No, I don't think so. They're, they're so different, whereas one is a long-term, let's-wait-and-see-how-it-goes you know, type scenario. Uh, the other one is an instant bang of satisfaction of jubilation of you know whatever you want to call it emotion um good and bad sometimes it's not always good there can be there can be bad losses and if you're on the wrong end of it it's the same thing it's that instant shot of uh good or bad so definitely different um both of them you know have their their pluses and negatives um I mean, on a coaching side, you can definitely get caught up in those day-to-day emotions and, and live and die by those highs and those lows, which, which can be tough sometimes. Um, And on the managerial side, I mean, sometimes you've got a plan in your head and you've got things you're thinking and you've got a vision and you're doing things and you're putting that vision into action, making moves or tweaking things. And the big picture always, isn't always clear, I think to the outside world and, and you know, it's not, everyone has the same perspective that you have. And so that can be a little difficult sometimes being patient enough to let that develop and unfold. Uh, whereas it's a little bit different, you know, on the coaching side where, you know, you put a game plan into place, you go out and play the game and you win the game and there's instant gratification. Um, it's, it's a little bit longer term and letting things develop and being patient on, on the GM side and planning those seeds and, and letting them kind of grow into trees. So, um, definitely different, but both, uh, both are rewarding in their own ways. I'd say
0: your trajectory in this league, Mike has always seemed to be leading to the front office and the general manager's role that you had and, and go back to now with the time behind the bench in between, but you look at that time behind the bench and winning percentage in the 600 range there, it's pretty damned impressive. Did you surprise yourself as a head coach?
2: Um, I don't think you ever want to say you surprised yourself because I think any coach will tell you that if you're crazy enough to get into this business and want to be a head coach and be the guy in charge, you have to have some level of belief in yourself that you can do the job and, you know, you're going to do a good job. And, and I don't think it's a, an arrogance or a cockiness, but it's a maybe more of a deeper belief in yourself that, Hey, I'm cut out for this. I can do it. I'm going to do it. And uh, so I, I don't want to say surprise myself, but in a sense, a little bit, um, I took over midway through a season. Um, you know, you don't really know how it's going to go. You don't know how the players are going to respond. You, you've never been a head coach before. Um, you've been an assistant, you know, the ins and outs of coaching and different things like that, but it's a whole other animal when you're the guy back there that's standing in the middle. Um, you know, I've done both jobs now and seen the different uh, mentality, it takes or or has um, to be an assistant as opposed to a head coach. And I don't know if it's really something you can describe until you've kind of seen both sides and lived through both sides. But I think it's a whole other level of um, leadership, a whole other level of being detailed, a whole other level of making sure that you're dialed in and, and detailed in all areas, because at the end of the day, when those players step on the ice, they're a reflection on you, whether that's good, bad, or sometimes in the middle. Uh, and that can be, that can be scary sometimes, but you go home and you put your head on the pillow and um, you, you live with the wins and the losses a lot harder um, and the highs and lows a lot harder because you are the guy in charge and, and it's falling on you. So um, you just never know how it goes. And yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned it. I I'm, we never got to the top of the mountain, um, you know, while I was coaching, we only had one chance at it, um, too, with, with the, the playoffs being canceled the one year that was unfortunate. I think we had a pretty good hockey team and who knows what happens. Um, but, um, yeah, looking back on it, it's something I'm proud of. And I think our staff is, can be proud of that, you know, in the, in the two years or combination of the two years, like you said, it was 600 win percentage around just slightly below that, I think. And, Um, on a team level, that's pretty damn good. If you're, you're winning at that rate, um, from year to year, um, you know, the one playoff we had, we, we were able to, you know, win around as the lower seed, which is a really uncommon thing to do in the OHL that we don't see too often, um, which was really cool to be a part of and special, um, and then looking from an individual development standpoint of all the players that have come through in the last well three years, but two actual hockey seasons with the cancelled year, um, there's a lot of guys that have come through here and gotten better, and that's not just me. that's that's more so the assistant coaches and just making sure that we're working with our guys and developing them individually and uh, making them better hockey players and better people when they leave here.
0: What part of being a general manager? Brings you the greatest satisfaction.
2: Um, I think.
0: <laughs> I think it's probably
2: um, some. It lies somewhere in the big picture of the job, and and I'm, you know, the type of person I am. I'm I'm a very big picture person. Um, you know, I I'm someone that enjoys the challenge of of continuously going at things and, and feeling like there's no completion. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of a crazy way to live a little bit because you, you never feel fully satisfied, but you're always chasing. Um, it's that infinite game versus finite game mindset where it's infinite and you, you always have something to do. You always can get the team better. You always can, um, improve the team in some way, shape or form, improve the program. And it's just that, feeling of feeling like you, you've never done enough and you've got stuff to do always, and you can constantly improve. And I really, really enjoy that part of it. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, I think that's the biggest thing is just having that big picture and long-term vision, as opposed to just living and dying by every single day by day by day. And I think that you know, for me, my personality, I think it suits me a little bit better.
0: So wearing that GM's hat then Mike, uh, tell us about, Chris Dennis and why he as a head coach is a good fit for this organization?
2: Yeah, I'm really excited, um, to bring Chris in, um, you know, being the kitchen Rangers, there's a lot, there's plenty of quality candidates. Um, Chris is a guy that, um, I've known a little bit, uh, through, through different connections in the game and in the hockey circles, it's a small world and I've gotten to meet him and chat with him a few times, um, before this, um we have you know people that we know that are mutual friends or you know mutual coaches that have worked together so he's a guy i've known for a little bit um and really it came down to he just checked almost every single box we had um when we were looking for the next head coach so um you know things like we wanted someone with head coaching some head coaching experience um you know not to say that you know, someone new that hadn't been a head coach couldn't come in, but I feel like it's a super important year for our hockey team. Um, it's my first time hiring a head coach. Um, I really wanted to make sure it was someone that had some form of experience. And Chris has that being at York, we did a really good job with a York team that traditionally isn't exactly a powerhouse in the OUA and, um, ended up, you know, taking them to a new level in the two years he was there. So he had that, he had experience at other levels, um, in the NHL, he had experience in the AHL. He's worked under a number of different coaches in, uh, you know, a number of different leagues. Um, he's coached in different areas. He's been a head coach. He's been an assistant coach. Um, so I think all those things kind of added up and he checked a lot of those boxes um and one of which is I mean he's been in junior hockey now for one year that's kind of the cherry on top and I think he was a really strong candidate even prior to this year but having that extra year where he's now been in the OHL with Barry and he's gotten to know the league he understands the age group um he has his bearings in terms of you know what the OHL is like and what development looks like at this level I think that made him even more um intriguing to us so um, a lot of those things, uh, and boxes were, were ticked with him. Lots of really good references from players that he has coached in the past, people he has worked with. Um, and so, um, at the end of the day, we're looking for someone that shares a vision and, and a philosophy on how we want to run the program. A lot of the building blocks are already in place, um, in terms of off ice and culturally, and we needed someone that aligned with that. And uh, you know, sees sees the world from the same view in terms of respect and treatment of players and inclusivity and a positive, you know, hard driving, you know, but hard driving, competitive, but also positive culture um, at the rink where where the kids are coming, they're having fun, but they're also working hard and they're improving. Um, and you know, in terms of the X's and O's, he's got a very good background uh, in the actual coaching and tactics too. So, um, yeah, those are all things that when we sat down with him or we looked at, you know, all the different candidates, those are things that we looked and really valued. And, uh, ultimately he was our guy and we're, we're really excited to get going with him, and I'm excited to start working with him.
0: I think when you talk about that, vision mike and those cultural building blocks if you will that are already in place it comes back to a phrase i've heard from time to time in the game and that is at this level with this age group we're not just developing hockey players for the next level but we're developing young men for the next generation of leaders in their communities
2: yeah and that's our that's our mission it's written down in our 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 manual here is that you know our our mission statement the kitchen rangers hockey operation uh Operations mission statement is to develop young men into great hockey players, but also great people. So when they're ready to leave the program, they're, they're ready for what lies ahead in life or hockey. So you hit the nail on the head in terms of that. And to do that, you have to be a good person. Um, You know, you can be the best tactician or the best X's and O's or the smartest hockey guy, Um, you know, best at managing a bench in game or run the best power play and to me personally, that stuff is all really, really good, and it's needed. And I think Chris has that. But at the end of the day, at this level, especially when you're dealing with young men and young young teenagers that are still in you know developmental phases, you know, on and off the ice, and are very uh, in that stage of their life where they they're going through the maturing process of you know growing into an adult and young man, you need someone that you know has you know those off ice things and is, is going to create that culture where um, it's an open door, there's relationships being built. uh, There's respect level between teammates and and staff and uh, overall, just in general, that it's a very, very positive culture. So these, these, these hockey players, you know, can learn some valuable life lessons as well. Cause at the end of the day, not all of them are going to play in the NHL and make millions of dollars. And it's our job to make sure the ones that don't, also learn something along the way um, for when they leave um, off
0: the ice as well. Connected to that, uh, he is in the NHL making lots of money. He just won the ultimate prize. And not to take anything away from Nazem Kadri, a former ranger, but wasn't here as long as, of course, I'm referring to Gabriel Landeskog, who was a captain with the organization. And to see the man that he's become as a captain in the National Hockey League and now capturing that ultimate prize, it's got to be a pretty good feeling throughout the uh, front offices about what was accomplished by the former captain.
2: Yeah, it's really cool to see. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Guys coming through and Gabe wasn't here or I wasn't here when Gabe was here, but you hear stories when you get here about how, how much of a stud this guy was and coming over from a different country and, uh, you know, basically being just an instant leader and uh, a man among amongst boys in terms of maturity and dedication and leadership and on and off the ice. So um yeah it's it's really cool to see um you know he i think he's the young one of the youngest captains to ever play in the nhl so um his his hockey background and resume obviously speaks for itself and it's cool to see him add a cup to uh, to that now
0: back to being the gm of the kitchener rangers now and focusing just on that mike I, I think back to last season and we often talked about your your big five if you will up front and only one of those in mike patizian is gone there's still a serpa of a lad uh mitch martin is there francesco Pinelli. you just added a nice piece on the back end and hunter bristevich and whether it's pavel chayon or jackson parsons you seem pretty good in goal uh how does your board look
2: it's full that's for sure um <laughs> It looks like a regular season board right now, because if, if we had to play a game tomorrow, we could, we could man a full lineup and then some. So uh, like you said, we're not losing a ton of players. Um, basically the three OAs, um, which, you know, those guys aren't easy to replace. Um, but, you know, that being said, we're not losing, you know, five, six guys or, you know, um, you know, having to fill those positions, those, those, you know positions are filled with names and people right now um which is great but it's going to be uh, exciting to see at training camp and probably the first you know four to six weeks of that exhibition schedule uh, to see how things shake out because there's going to be a lot of internal competition i think this year um there's going to be a lot of ice time up for grabs um you know like you said we do have some you know returning guys that are kind of locked into those top spots but after that, it's wide open for, for guys that maybe didn't play as big of a role last year to jump up and take more ice time. And, and uh, yeah, so it's going to be really exciting. I think we've got a lot of exciting – we've got a lot of good older players and we've got a lot of exciting young players that I think have bright futures too. So uh, I'm really looking forward to training camp uh, and to see kind of how things shake, shake out and how guys come back from the summer.
0: And even before we get there, we're just days away from the import draft. You've got selections 26 and 86, uh, this coming Friday in that import draft, anything in particular you're looking for or keeping your eyes on?
2: Yeah, well, um, we'll see how it goes. The import draft draft is, you know, notoriously unpredictable at times. So it's hard to say for sure, but we're definitely going to pick one player, um, Potentially, too, we'll see how the draft goes. Um, we're in a bit of a unique situation this year with uh, the way things have kind of gone. Um, we have Philip Mesar still on our protected list, and we're going to hang on to him and make sure he stays there um, and see how the next couple of weeks unfold. But we're hopeful that, you know, at some point uh, he can come over and, and play in North America. Um, but we'll see uh, how you know, the NHL draft unfolds and what team picks them and and what their thoughts are on that. Um, And then we've got, we've got Pavel as well. Um, Since he's an OA import, he's able to go onto our OA um, import list. So, um, and he's expressed some interest in returning to our team. Um, So again, we'll just kind of have to see how things go with the import draft, how things go with the NHL draft, and then we'll probably have a better sense Um, in mid to late July kind of you know who these guys are and 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 who's going to be our imports so it's a little bit of a unique situation this year but we're definitely going to be picking one new player on Friday which is exciting
0: here we are in late June talking about hockey we're going to get a little break before that training camp and you're going to be back as the general manager and COVID we hope I think is going to be behind us for good and the 60th season of uh, Kitchener Rangers hockey it's got a pretty special feeling looking ahead doesn't it
2: Yeah, it does. It's uh, it it makes me feel a little bit old because I was here for the 50th season. Um, I think that was maybe my first year. So first or second year. So it's uh, yeah, I keep feeling like I just got here a few years ago and then I have to check myself and it's been almost a decade or over a decade now. So yeah, it's really cool. It's uh, as you know, it's, you know, one of the special things about this team and organization is it's been here a long time and he'll be here a long time. It's been here a long time before any of us have gotten here. And it'll be be here a long time before any of us uh, leave here. So it's, uh, it's really cool. Anytime we can celebrate our history. um, It's a huge part of what we're about. So it's,
0: uh, it's definitely cool. You've always been good to us with your time, Mike. Thanks for making more of that time for us again today. Appreciate it.
3: Yeah. No problem, Mike. Thanks